podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. boys and girls two for the podcast on thursday the 25th of november brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location and access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from for example an irish expat living abroad could access the rte player of virgin media an english expat you get bbc iplayer itv hub more four or all four, Sky Go, a US expat, Peacock, Hulu, HBO, the whole shebang. Use the code EPLPOD, that's EPLPOD, at libertyshield.com to get 50% off at checkout. That's EPLPOD for 50% off at checkout. Download straight away onto whichever device you want or multiple devices and get using keep your data safe and help you access things that you are geo-blocked from. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for those tricky Christmas gifts that you can't just think of. And finally, for more Christmas gifts, EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, you can get them on Etsy. Use the code EPL25 and RED25 on the respective stores to get 25% off at checkout. Right, folks. So, breaking news. Ralph Ranick has agreed to become the interim manager of Manchester United. He is poised to join on a six-month contract with an optional two years where he would stay on as a consultant, whatever that is. Now... Ideally, if you're appointing Ranić, you want to give you want to give Ranić the keys to the kingdom. You want to appoint him as the director of football and let him oversee the whole thing. United are going to appoint him as a consultant because they've got multiple different people doing jobs they're not really qualified for. And they don't want to disrupt the the jobs for the boys policy there. In comical news, Christian Folk uh, at CF Byron on Twitter, known for the true and not true stupidity that he does, tweeted yesterday, not true is that Manchester United will go for Ralph Ranić. The talks between Ranić and United in 2019 were very unsatisfactory for both sides. Well, here we are less than 24 hours later from his moment of stupidity and Ralph Ranić has agreed a deal to join Manchester United. Uh, no Zidane, no Pochettino, not now anyway, maybe in the summer. I would imagine Ranić as part of this brief 
will play a part in appointing the next manager as well. So I think that will open up the field to a number of his disciples and people that he's fond of. Eric Ten Hag is one of the favourites, obviously Pochettino as well and Brendan Rodgers. I think others will become candidates for the job now. Now, this is all based on the hope that Lokomotiv Moscow, where he has been working since July, agreed to release him from his contract. He has a three-year deal with them as manager of sports and development. So basically, he's the general manager, probably a level above director of football, um, overseeing the whole thing. He's taking the chance to join Manchester United. Now, Ranić is brilliant at the building of a club. As a manager, there are some question marks over him. He's going to be a big upgrade on Oli. We can rest assured that he is going to be a big upgrade on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. But this is a guy that's in the past walked away from Schalke because he found the stress of running such a big club to be a bit too much for him. Now, knowing it's only six months might make a difference here. But we are talking about someone that in the last decade has only overseen 88 matches as a manager. He hasn't really been a full-time manager in 10 years. He was at Hoffenheim for just over, just under five years, went to Schalke. That lasted six months, including the summer break, I might point out. 23 games all told. He managed Leipzig in 15-16 and again in 18-19, filling in between other managers. But he hasn't been a full-time manager really in 10 years. In those roles at Leipzig, he was always the director of football and the manager. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see how he does. I think he will do quite well if, and here's the thing, he's, he's ignorant enough to drop Cristiano. He won't care. He's also ignorant enough to tell Paul Pogba to take a very long walk off a very short pier. He won't care. If Harry Maguire is not playing to the standard that he expects, he will drop Harry Maguire. He will not care. And knowing that he's leaving in six months, from the manager's position anyway, he will just do what it is he feels is the right thing to do to win football matches. Now, he is going to want to play a high-pressing game. He is very much from the same school as Jurgen Klopp in that he believes in a high-pressing, aggressive style of football. And it will be fun to watch at times. I think the likes of Sancho, Rashford, Greenwood and Bruno Fernandes will thrive under him. I think Fred will be important under him. I think Varane will be very important, as will Luke Shaw. Wan-Bissaka's recovery pace will be more of a factor, but Maguire is going to be an issue if he tries to play a high line. And it wouldn't surprise me if Maguire finds himself sitting on the bench more often than not under Ranić once things really get rolling for them. The question is, I suppose, what happens if he does really well? If he does really well, can they afford to let him go? Will there be a groundswell to keep him? If he starts to implement his ideas, and his ideas are very specific to him and his philosophy on the game, it will be quite a big change to move on to somebody else who maybe wants to do something different. 
I was talking to somebody on social media last night who's very much in favour of Eric Ten Hag. And we were talking about Ernesto Valverde and how he might be the ideal guy to come in as the interim manager. But my suggestion was you give him 18 months and you let him see through the end of the Pogba nonsense, see through the end of the Cristiano nonsense. Uh, by the way, has it been pointed out how many managers Cristiano has gotten sacked in recent years? That's Oli, Pirlo and Sarri, all sacked. In large part because of Cristiano's inability to do anything other than score goals and his unwillingness to do anything for the good of the team and not the good of himself. But Valverde would, would like Ranić, just have that ignorance in him and he wouldn't mind putting up with a bit of backlash. But, for example, if Ten Hag, a young manager, comes in, no real connection to United, doesn't have the fans on board and there's a falling out between he and Cristiano, I think a large portion of the fan base, the, the portion of the fan base that acted like Cristiano was out on loan for the years that he spent at Real Madrid or Juventus, that weird group, I think they would turn against the manager and that would not be a good precedent at the start of his reign. So I do wonder if maybe they're better off Appointing an older, gnarly tactician who can just get the best out of the squad that's there for the 18 months that they're stuck with Cristiano. And then you appoint your Eric Ten Hag or whoever it is you might want. Maybe Graham Potter is ready for a step up at that point. Who knows? I have a feeling... Ten Hag might have his eye on the City job because Pep is due to leave in 2023 and maybe Ten Hag sees that as the more natural fit for him and City would see him as a natural fit there too. But if United were smart, they would go and approach him this coming summer and say, look, do a year at Ajax, do one more year at Ajax, keep getting better, keep getting more experience and here's your five-year contract or whatever for next summer. And we'll keep, well, Ranić now, I was suggesting Valverde at the time, but Ryan will keep him for another 18 months, for another, for another year. And we'll let him see out the backlash of potentially a fallout with the show pony, the backlash of dropping the captain and whatever else comes with it. Um, United are going to be interesting over the next few weeks. Now, he's not going to be in charge this weekend. His work permit won't be through in time. So it will be Michael Carrick. Now, I'm not really sure what the required level is for the work permit. The new Brexit rules make everything weird. Uh, previously, obviously, as a, as, a, as a German, he would not have needed to get a work permit now he does and you know having only managed two seasons of the last 10 and neither of the last two does he qualify for a work permit especially for an interim role it's a weird one he probably will there's there's probably ways and means to get these things done but yeah I'm excited to see how Ralph Ranić does in the Premier League. I am, genuinely. And I think there'll be a couple of managers be very happy to see him come to the Premier League. The likes of Klopp 
and certainly Ralph Hasenhutl, who's a complete disciple of Ranić, they'll be very pleased to see a man they have great respect for uh, getting a job like this. But strange that he's walking out on locomo- locomotive Moscow after only six months. But remember, the reason he left Leipzig was a power struggle. He was meant to go to AC Milan. And then it turned out he wanted more power than they were willing to give him. He basically wanted Maldini to step aside and for him to run the club up and down. And Maldini and others weren't willing to do that. So uh, that deal fell apart. Pioli ended up staying. And they've done well under Pioli, to be fair. Um, So it has worked out for them. Less so for Ranić. But I'm sure he was happy enough with Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, So, yeah, expect more on that in the next day or so. I'm sure the Athletic broke the story only half an hour ago. So um, it is... It's at least a big step in the right direction for United because they really were making a hames of this. Uh, one of the pieces of managerial news that shocked me this morning, Sheffield United making the decision to part company with Slavisa Jukanovic. Um, I'm surprised. I really am surprised. He has a great track record in the championship. He won promotion with Watford and then with Fulham. And yes, they had a difficult start to the season, and they are 16th in the league. But they're only, what, eight points off the promotion, off the playoff spots? Which over 27 remaining games isn't a whole lot to expect them to make up. And there's teams there that have had a hot start that you don't necessarily feel will sustain it, such as QPR and Coventry. You wouldn't necessarily have predicted either of those to be in the playoff spots this year. Stoke have taken a big jump as well. So, while Jukanovic did have that bad start, it was understandable, considering the players that were there were only suited to playing one way, the Chris Wilder way, which isn't Jukanovic's way. Um, They've appointed Paul Heckenbottom, as the manager up until with a contract until 2026, which is just a very strange move. Now, Heckenbottom's a highly regarded coach, there's no question. And obviously he took over there last year as an interim manager. But he's not done well as a manager. He was at Barnsley for 18 months. He won 27% of his games. Then he joined Leeds. He was there for less than six months. He won four out of 16 games. Four out of 16 games. It was strange that Leeds appointed him, but they were a mess at the time. and They were doing all kinds of strange things. Um, he went to Hibernian. It didn't go particularly well either. And he was sacked. And Sheffield United, having had him, already decided not to keep him. Very highly regarded coach, less so as a manager. And I think this is a bad move, personally. That's just my opinion. Others may disagree. Others may see it as as a move in the right direction. I don't think he's a particularly good manager. Now, if he does well, fair play to him. He'll get all the credit in the world. But it's a big, big job he's walking into. It's a big club. 
big expectations. And from what I've seen, a lot of their fans are not too impressed by either this, the decision to sack Ikanovic or the decision to appoint him, especially on such a long contract. To get a contract until the end of 2025-26 at a championship club is very unusual. Very, very unusual. And they're going to be paying Yukanovic for the next two and a half years as well. But to give a guy basically a four and a half year deal in the championship with his track record across Barnsley, Leeds, Hibs, and even when he was there the last time, he won three of 11 games. It's it's unusual. It is unusual. That's a club, I think, with some problems that we don't necessarily know about. Um, let's move on then. It is questions day. It is Thursday. So we'll jump straight in and we'll get going with these. So, um, YNWA Foodie, question for Thursday. You have to build a team with 11 players and one manager. You can only choose one player or manager from each of these European leagues to make up your team. Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, French League, Portuguese League, Eredivisie, Russian Premier, Scottish, Austrian, Belgian, and Ukrainian. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to get the more difficult leagues out of the way first. So, the Ukrainian League, Viktor Shankov is my favourite player there. Um, really, really talented winger at Dynamo Kiev. Plays off, left footer who plays off the right. So we'll go with him. We'll put Kareem Adiemi of Salzburg as the number nine. So that's Austria ticked off. Um, Belgian League. I would say... Yuri Vershain is probably Vershain. Vershain is probably the guy I'd go for here. Uh, Vershain, he's a midfield player, so I took him in there. And let's see now. So I've got those three done. Um, Russian League. Before anyone says it, I'm not picking Dejan Lovren. So don't even consider suggesting that I should pick Dejan the Pebble Lovren. Um, I might go right back from Russia. I think I'll go Mario Fernandez at right back. Should have left years ago. Really good player. Ended up naturalizing and playing for Russia, having been born and raised in Brazil. Uh, he's been there now nine years. Uh, he's got one Brazilian cap, but he's got 33 um, Russian caps. He's in, He retired from the national team this year. Very, very good player. Very, very good player. I've always been a... I've always been a fan. I might stick with him. There's nobody else really that stands out. I do like Claudinho. 
But I think I'll go with Mario Fernandez. Um, Scottish League. Given that this is a dreadful, dreadful Celtic team, it's probably going to have to be somebody from Rangers, to be totally honest. Um, I would say I like Glenn Kamara. I like Giannis Hadji. I do like Joe Aribo as well. Hmm. Do you know, I, I do really like um, Furuhashi, the, the Japanese guy at, at Celtic. I do think he's outstanding. I'll go Giannis Hadji. I'll go with Hadji. Why not? Uh, moving on. Dutch League. Noni Medeki. Put him into my front three. He can play off the left. Uh, Portuguese League. Oh. Oh, I might need to change something here. Because I really like Luis Diaz. I really like Pedro Concalves. And I really like Darwin Nunes. Do you know what? I won't pick a player from the Dutch League. I will take Eric Ten Hag as my manager from the Dutch League. And I'm going to pick Luis Diaz from Portugal as my left winger. So my front three is Shankov, Adiemi, and Luis Diaz. I need a holding midfielder, a goalkeeper, two centre-backs, and a left-back. Um, I will take... From Syria, I'll take Theo Hernandez as my left-back. From the Premier League, I'll take Van Dijk as one centre-back. From the French League, I'm going to take Marquinhos to partner him. I'm going to take Jan Oblak from La Liga as my goalkeeper. And that leaves me with the Bundesliga needing a holding midfielder. I will take Joshua Kimmich. So I've got Oblak, Fernandez, Marquinhos, Van Dijk, Theo Hernandez, uh, Verscheren, Kimmich, and Hadji, I'm not overly in love with that, but the Scottish League is just a bit, well, it's a bit Scottish now, to be honest. Um, and then I've got Shankoff, Adiemi, and Lucy. So I really like my defence. I really like my attack. I like two-thirds of that midfield. I don't like Hadji a whole bunch. Do you know who I'll take instead of him? I'll take David Turnbull of Celtic. If for nothing else and he takes a cracking set piece, I'll take David Turnbull. He's more physical and I think he's better suited to midfield 
than Hadji is. So I'll go with him. Him and Vershare on either side of Kemic. Um, yeah, I'm happy enough with that. So that's that. Okay. Um, AMK 2889. Had a pointless conversation with a friend of a friend the other day about who was better between Lampard and Gerrard. Agree to disagree pretty much sums up the conversation. But it makes me think of how many world-class players Gerrard actually played with throughout his career. Below is the list of players I think were world-class when they played for Liverpool with Gerrard. Are there any players that I missed or that don't belong on this list? So he's got Fowler. I don't think Fowler was world-class when Gerrard played with him because I think Fowler had a couple of bad injuries by that point. And while still a young player, still in his prime years, when Gerrard broke through, um, I don't think he was quite as good. Now, I could be proven wrong, but Fowler's best years were absolutely 94 through to 97. After that, he did have a lot of injuries. He had one more season where he scored over 10 league goals. That was 98-99. Gerrard was only really on the fringes and becoming, you know, squad player. I would say Fowler not world class when Gerrard played with him. I would say Robbie Fowler had three world class years. From 94-95, 95-96 and 96-97. I would say Robbie Fowler was world-class, especially that 95-96 season when he was just unbelievably good. He is one of the great lost talents of English football, without question. Robbie Fowler would have scored. He scored 254 league goals in his career. He'd easily have doubled that. Easily, if he had had better luck physically. Uh, Steve McManaman. I would say yes. Now, Gerard was only a kid at the time, but McManaman was the best player in England for a couple of years. I would say world-class. Michael Owen, absolutely, undoubtedly world-class for a couple of years with Liverpool. Now, the hamstring injury definitely curtailed things, but he was still a world-class finisher after that. Uh, Didi Haman, no. I would say a level below world-class. Sammy Hippie are the same. Great players, but I don't think they were world-class. Mascherano absolutely was the best ball-winning midfielder in the world when he was with Liverpool and obviously went on to Barcelona and did great things there. Torres was the best number nine in the world for at least 18 months with Liverpool, so I would say yes. Suarez, without question. Suarez is the best player that he ever played with, that Jared ever played with. I don't think Sturridge... I think Sturridge had world-class bouts of form without ever establishing himself as a world-class player because of the injuries, and Coutinho, I would say, wasn't world-class when Gerrard was playing. In part because the fit with him and Gerrard was always weird, because they both needed the ball so much. I think Coutinho's best years came under Klopp, uh, so I would say no. I would say McManaman, Owen, Mascherano, Torres, Luis Suarez. Now, others have mentioned Xabi Alonso. Alonso wasn't consistent enough with Liverpool, is the truth of things. He was great when he was on, but he wasn't consistent enough with it. I don't think he was world-class. I think he became world-class 
when he moved to Real Madrid and, and was 8 or 9 out of 10 every single week. At Liverpool, he had too many 6 out of 10s for me to call him world-class. Daniel Agger, someone else, else mentioned, absolutely been world-class, but the injuries, same as Sturridge, spells of being world-class or performing at a world-class level, but didn't establish that as, as his actual consistent level because of injuries. Um, so, yeah, I think I've got, I'll go with the five. McManaman, Owen, Mascherano, Torres and Suarez. Um, someone else suggested Pepe Reina. Not for me. I, I don't think he was ever world class. I think he was very good for a few years and then very bad for a few years. Um, yeah, I'd have those five. That would be it for me. Um, now, McManaman, remember, he only played with for less than a year or so because uh, Maka left and went to went to Real Madrid on a free. Really bad man. Really bad management. Really bad management. Why he wasn't sold. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, fact 1977. Keepers seem to have one of two reactions after a near-miss save. Puff their chest out and try to rally the team or yell at the defence as if they've just been practising ballet during the shot. Since Pickford has done the latter in all 167 of his Everton appearances, he occupies number one spot in the yellows of the Premier League. But following him, can you rank the remaining keepers according to the level of crankiness? I'll give it a go. I, I, I'll give this a go. David De Gea, I would say, a high level of crankiness. But we'll start, I'll just use the league table. Mendy doesn't really get after his defence too often. He's more of a puff the chest out and try and rally the team type of guy. Ederson always looks miserable. Always looks miserable, but isn't really a very vocal goalkeeper. Allison gives them the look. He doesn't really puff his chest. He doesn't really scream and yell. He gives them the look. Or he'll look at Virgil and Virgil will absolutely tear strips out of them. Fabianski's a cranky goalkeeper, always having tantrums. Ramsdale blurs the line. He likes to puff his chest out and big himself up. But when he concedes a goal, it's everybody else's fault. Um, Jose Sa doesn't deserve mention. Hugo Lloris is a cranky goalkeeper. He likes to moan and whinge at people. De Gea, like I said, moans and whinges. Sanchez doesn't say much. Gaeta, sneaky bollocker. He will tell lads where to be and what they're doing wrong all the time, but does it in a way that doesn't look like he's having too much of a tantrum. Kasper Schmeichel, big-time tantrum. Um, I would say Southampton have one of each. Forster's a puff-your-chest-out kind of guy. McCarthy's a, a scream-and-yell kind of guy. Emmy Martinez puffs the chest. David Rea puffs the chest. I think Ben Foster's too nice to really be too cranky. Uh, he seems like quite a happy guy. Melier's too young to be either yet. Nick Pope is a cranky goalkeeper. Nick Pope will, will let his defenders know when they've let him down. Tim Krul seems to moan all the time anyway. Um, and Dubravka... 
Dubravka for me is more of a puffy chess kind of guy. Now I know I haven't ranked them there. I would say the top five in terms of crankiness would be Pickford for sure as number one, Casper number two, De Gea three, Pope four. No, maybe Tim Cruel four and Pope five. That's that's what I'd go with there. Um, Tom James, have you seen Kefram Turam? Kefram Turam is the younger son of Lillian Turam, the younger brother of Marcus Turam of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Holding midfielder, plays for Nice. I really like him. Really, really like him. Good on the ball. Really good ball winner. Has extendable legs that seem to just you know, go-go gadget whenever he wants to win win the ball back. Carries the ball quite well. So I think as a backup to Fab and someone that you could develop into the left-sided number eight role in the short term, yes, I would absolutely be in favour of him. I do very much like him. Um, Keem Dreamstar, you had your you had Bayern on your mind today. Twice you said Bayern when you meant Benfica or Dortmund. Well, that must be yesterday then. Oh, so when I was talking about Benfica or Dortmund, I mentioned Bayern. Oh, apologies. Um, well, Dortmund, obviously, in the same league. Borussia, Bayern, that's where that confusion comes from. And Benfica in the same group as Bayern. So that's, I think, where that comes from. But yeah, cheers picking that up. I, I completely missed that. Um, KOR99, a question for your two-footed, uh, for the two-footed pod. Who are your top five best and worst Champions League winning teams? Oh. Top five best and worst. So can I use this as a Euro- as a European Cup rather than just Champions League? Okay, I'll I'll go with I would say. I would say the two Chelsea teams that have won the Champions League belong in the bottom five, in in the five worst. Like, if we're looking at individual players and a collective group, I would say both Chelsea teams, and considering where they were in the league as well, both Chelsea teams. Liverpool in 05, absolutely. I mean, Jimmy Traore won a Champions League. That I love Jimmy Traore. I will always love Jimmy Traore. But, I mean, you look at the other teams that have won it, he doesn't get make the bench for most of them. Porto, you'd have to include, I think. Um, and then... I mean, if I can go back a bit, I would say that the Stoya Bucharest team that won in 86 probably deserved to be in here. If we're sticking just to Champions League, it is tough. I mean, that Marseille team that won were very good. That AC Milan team is one of the greats. The Ajax team were incredible. Juve the following year under Lippi, outstanding. Uh... Dortmund under Hitzfeld had a great team, including Zammer and Muller. 
can't really pick any of those Real Madrid teams or the United treble winning team. Bayern in 2001. That was a pretty good team. That was the Stefan Effenberg team. So a lot of the players made up the German team in the next World Cup final. Milan in 07. That's who the fifth one is. Milan in 07. Even though it was still a very, very good team, it wasn't nearly as good as the team that had lost in 05 or won in 03. And they'd been hit with Calcio Poli. They were really a, a non-entity um, in their domestic league that season. I would say that Milan team. And I say that with the greatest of respect to a lot of great players. But, you know, Aldo with right back, not great. Dida, not great. Maldini by that point, still, he's still Maldini, but... He's 39 years of age. Uh, Yankelovsky, not great. Good, not great. Ambrosini, good, not great. Gattuso, the shape didn't really suit him all that well. I would say that Milan team. You look at that bench as well. I mean, it has to be that Milan team. The Liverpool team that they beat that year were better than them. So I would go with that Milan team. I would say the Chelsea teams that won in, what, 2012 and 2021, Liverpool in 05, Porto in 04, and Milan in 07. I would say they're the five worst. In terms of five best, it's hard to look past AC Milan in 94. Now, admittedly, they did win that final without Baresi or Costa Curta. So you could argue that they weren't at their best, but that was a great team. I love the Dortmund team of 97, which is a number of members of the the German team from 96, the Euros, but probably doesn't go into the best five. Madrid in, in 02 is a definite. So I'll go Milan 94, Madrid 02, that's the Zidane, Figo, Carlos, Galacticos team. Um, you've got to have Pep's, both of Pep's Barces. Actually, you can only really have one, can't you? Because the Barca team in 15 have to be in because of that front three. So I'll go Barca. Probably 2011 was better than 20, other than 2009. So we've got Milan 94, Madrid 02, Barca 2011, Barca 2015. I think the Liverpool 2019 team beats any of the Real Madrid teams that won the four and five years. I think the Bayern team of 2020 beats any of those Real Madrid Madrid teams. But, but, Real won three in a row. So out of respect, you have to pick one of those Real teams. It is largely the same team. I'll go with the 2016-17 vintage, um, the middle one where they tumped Juventus in the final. Um, But I do think 
that the Liverpool teams of 19 and the Bayern team of 20 would both beat them. Now, Modric, Cruz, Casemiro is an incredible midfield, great front line. Defensively, I think there was holes. Marcelo was never a good defender. Ramos isn't a good centre-back. Varane, good, great at times, great at that point, but injury-prone. And Carvial, good, not great. Keeper, very good, but not great. I'll go Real Madrid 2017, though, as my fifth and final team. Um, so, yeah, that's that one. A couple more here. Um, da, 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 da. Rick M, who do you think are the best teams to get relegated from the Premier League? So, the one that always comes to mind is Middlesbrough, 96-97. Janino, Emerson, Ravinelli. That team, to me should not have gone down. Remember, they got to two cup finals that season as well. Uh, they should not have gone down. So I would put them in for certain. Leeds in 04, they just should not have gone down. Still, despite having sold a number of players, they still shouldn't go down. They were horrendous defensively, but I don't think they should have gone down. I think they had Enough quality to stay up. Um, but there was such chaos going on at the club at that point. Hmm. Let me think. The Blackburn team. The Blackburn team that got relegated still had Tim Flowers. And still, I think, had Chris Sutton. I think they sold they sold somebody mid-season and it completely derailed them. Was that Blackburn 97, 98, 98, 99? One of those years. That, that Blackburn team that went down, I would put them in. They'd be my top three. That Blackburn team, Leeds and Middlesbrough, they'd be the three I'd look at and say they should not have gone down. Um... Okay, the Langstar. From one end of the summer window to another, from sorry, from the end of one summer window to another, how do you believe our transfer process works? Is there a down period, or is there constant day-to-day decisions made on players we will go for the entire way until the next window opens? Also, how fluid and reactive do you think our approach is? So, from what I can gather, so look. As a general rule of thumb, teams scout one window in advance. So for the players they're scouting right now are for next summer. The players they scouted till like mid-June will have been for January. And then it's about monitoring their level, monitoring their productivity, all the analytics stuff, and there'll be the odd eye test done. But you'll have your players identified six months in advance at a minimum. Now for Liverpool, I, I believe it's 12 months. Somebody I'm very close with met the Liverpool recruitment team, including Michael Edwards, on a flight to America a few years ago after Liverpool had won the Champions League and basically was told we're already looking at next summer's transfers. So 
it may well be that what Liverpool do. So you've got the identification process, which, you know, eye test, analytics, figure out what they're like. And then from there, you narrow, narrow it down. You set parameters on what you want to see them doing. And if they are doing those things, they'll, they'll remain of interest. If they drop off, you, f- you find out the, the where and the why. If they're overperforming, you see, is it a, an actual peak or are they just spiking? Are they just having a one-off season that's outside what they're going to be? Or is that something they're going to be able to sustain? If it's something they can sustain, how does it affect the price? I would say there is no downtime, really, in recruitment. Not anymore. Because there's such competition and because Liverpool work on such a budget, I would say they're working all year long and they probably just stagger holidays through the year. I wouldn't say the recruitment department shuts down at any point. So I would say they're they're scouting at least one window in advance. Any players they have in mind for January, they're not still scouting. They have those players locked down as somebody that they're going to either make a move for or not. The players they are looking at now are in all likelihood for the summer at the earliest, maybe even a window beyond that. Um, Dell. For some reason, I was just thinking about this. Who is the greatest manager not to win a Champions League trophy? Ooh. I would say there's two, and I would say they're still managing right now. Oh, guys made it right. So I was going to say Conte or Simeone, but they're still managing right now, and they will have many years. Guy is correct. It is Arsene Wenger. It is Arsene Wenger. He is the best manager not to win the Champions League. Wenger is one of the all-time greats, massively disrespected, including by fans of his former club. Wenger is an all-time great. And Wenger's the best manager not to win the Champions League, I would say. Uh, and Guy has nailed it, yes. So I, I'll go Wenger. Um, right, I've got two questions left. One from uh, from Jay, one from Owen Hurley. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do those. And then we'll wrap up with the gossip and be done for the day. Right, folks, welcome back. So we have two questions left. Uh, First question is from Owen Hurley, the man who tweets from the bog. Um, So let's have a gander of what his question is. I know it was something outrageous, but I can't think what it was that he said to me. Okay, so here we go. So the hold me back posturing by Arteta last week got me thinking about handbags and schmoozles. Wouldn't it be just lovely to see an ice hockey approach to fights where it's up to the players how far it goes? Two players want to go at it, that's fine, but the third man in gets punished. No posturing, no snide digs go unpunished. No, yeah, sorry, snide digs go unpunished. Um, I actually think it's it'd clean the game up. Like with Atletico against Mane, you wouldn't be poking the bear if you knew he was going to stand up and give you a dig. Or indeed, if Van Van Dyke took it upon himself to step in on Manus' behalf. So yeah, you'll often see in ice hockey, 
that some teams, not not so much anymore, some teams have like an enforcer on their team. So if one of their skilled players gets cracked, this guy goes and just knocks lumps into somebody. I can only imagine the outrage of the British establishment if this was allowed. Now, I do think it would clean things up. I think if you could show that you were provoked into throwing a slap, the provo- uh, the provocation would stop uh, if players weren't getting promoted, for, uh, punished rather, for, for the reaction. I think it'd be great crack. I think it could be great fun. Um, I'd be very curious to see who would be kind of the guy for each team who'd stand up for everybody else. Um, actually, we might as well have a quick gander and see. I think for for Chelsea, it's probably Thiago Silva, although Eduard Mendy's big and long and rangy, so he could be a problem. For City, it's definitely Fernandinho. He's the one getting involved in the scraps. For Liverpool, it's probably Fabinho. It could be Van Dijk, obviously, just as an intimidator. But Fabinho's probably the scrappiest one from the group. Maybe Andy Robertson. You just never know. Thomas Suchek, all day for West Ham. All day. Um, Gabriel for Arsenal, for sure. At Wolves, I would say Raul Jimenez. Although with the head injury, maybe not. Willie Bolly'd be intimidating. The guy's about 6'5". I think Max Kilman would have a decent job. At Spurs, Hoysberg, definitely. At United, they're all a little bit soft. I think Matic is probably the one there. Uh, at Brighton, you're probably looking at Lewis Dunk. Or Shane Duffy. Shane Duffy. Uh, Crystal Palace. Probably Milivojevic. That guy has dead eyes. I don't think you'd, you'd mess with him. At Everton, it's Alan, without question. At Leicester, Ndidi's the obvious answer, but I think it's Sionchu. He just looks psychotic at times. Uh, Southampton, Bednarak, you never mess with a pole. Brentford. Ooh, Brentford's a tough one. I think Ivan Tony would be a tough boy. I'll go Ivan Tony. Aston Villa. John McGinn's arse is the obvious choice here. But I think it could be Tyron Mings. I think it could be Tyron Mings. The type who'd swing a kick at you from three feet away, catch it, or three yards away rather, catch on top of the head and knock you unconscious. At Watford, I'm going to go with Kushka. He just looks a little bit like, like he'd, he'd fancy himself. Um, at Leeds, it'd just be Bielsa berating everybody. But I think Calvin Phillips is a tough boy. Um, Burnley, Chris Wood, probably. Chris Wood, Norwich, it they're all a little bit. Uh, Ozan Kabak probably is the best one to go there. And at Newcastle, John Joe Shelby, I just think he's probably psychotic all the time. I know you didn't ask the question, but that's who I think would be the enforcers for each team. Right, last question then, ITJ. You need to select a starting eleven plus nine subs from the thirty-six from the from the Premier League teams, and here's the rules. Sorry, he said he said a starting eleven plus seven subs, and here's the rules. 
you can select one player from each team. Each player must be a different age. So the age is from 18 to 35 at the time of selection on Thursday. So this one we had to do in advance because this was tough. Now, I have picked nine subs, and I've gone from 18 all the way up. So I've picked one from every club. Now, I will say I could not pick anyone who's 37 because there's only one player in the league who's 37. That's Thiago Silva, and I, I picked my Chelsea player already. So I've got age 18, Harvey Elliott, age 19, Tino Livramento, age 20, Mason Greenwood, age 21, Phil Foden, age 22, Declan Rice, 23, Christian Romero, 24, Esri Conza, 25, Eve Basima. 26, Isaac Hayden. 27, Christian Norgard. 28, Luca Dina. 29, Edward Mandy. 30, Luke Ayling. Four, uh, 31, uh, Koyate. 32, Aubameyang. 33, Tim Krul. 34, Vardy. 35, Moutinho, 36, Phil Bardsley, and 38, Ben Foster. So that's one from every Premier League club at different ages. And my team is Mendy in goal, Livermento right back, Dina left back, Romero and Conza in the middle, Rice and Basuma as a double pivot in front of them, Elliot and Foden as an advanced two in front of them, and Greenwood and Vardy up front. Um, I think that's a pretty good team. I'm quite happy with that, to be totally honest. We're going to wrap up then with the gossip and get ourselves done for the day. Paris Saint-Germain and France forward Kylian Mbappe is tipped to leave when his contract expires. With Newcastle among the clubs that could make a move for the World Cup winner. These, these journalists... These people sitting in offices, shamelessly filling column inches with such tripe. Oh no, I have a source. Who's your source? Just trust me, bro. I've got a source. Chelsea's Moroccan winger, Hakim Ziyech, and German forward, Timo Werner, are on the list for Barcelona. This was in the news yesterday. It was nonsense then, it's nonsense now. Manchester United have had an initial approach for Paris Saint-Germain manager Maurizio Pochettino rejected, and now we know that Ranić is going there. Uh, former man, former Tottenham boss Pochettino will have to wait six months at least before he can become United manager. I think that's the way they'll go. I think they'll get Pochettino in the summer. It just seems like that's who they want. Uh, new Tottenham boss Antonio Conte has held Discussions with the club about signing Eric Bailly. I very much doubt it. Eric Bailly is exactly the type of defender that Conte has no time for. Uh, former Borussia Dortmund manager Lucien Favre and ex-Leon boss Rudy Garcia have been interviewed by Manchester United about becoming their interim manager. Ralph Raniak and Paolo Fonseca were also on the shortlist. Uh, a mural of... At Old Trafford, Volley Connor Solskjaer has been taken down. Why was there a mural to begin with? What had he done to warrant a mural? Um, 
Barcelona and Liverpool are interested in Chelsea forward Christian Pulisic. Very doubtful. Chelsea have held talks with Fenerbahce in Hungary defender Attila Zlaya. Decent squad player for them. I don't think he's a starter at that level. Uh, not for Chelsea. That's a very high level to, to move to. Wolves will listen to offers for Adama Traore in January. So says Football Insider. So definitely garbage. Real Madrid fans have been disgusted. Dis- sorry, disgusting to Wales forward Gareth Bale, according to his agent, Jonathan Barnett. And Bale's behaviour towards Real Madrid has also been disgusting. So, you, you know, you reap what you sow here, really. Uh, Arsenal's forward Alex, Alex Lacazette is being tracked by Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Newcastle. They're just thrown into everything. And AC Milan, his contract expires in the summer. The Gunners are keen to sign Renato Sanchez in the January transfer window. Now, it's not from Chris Wheatley, so I'm not believing a word of it. Um, Renato Sanchez and Thomas Partey is not a great fit. Jesse Lingard still wants to leave the club despite Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's exit. Mason Mount has no concerns over his contract situation and wants to win more trophies with the club. I'd be amazed if Chelsea allowed it to get to the point where he was leaving. Uh, Aston Villa's form... They, uh, these type of things are always nonsense as well. And this is more football insider garbage. Um, as, former Aston Villa manager Dean Smith wants to take Keenan Davis with him to Norwich. I mean, come on. Like this, this fella, this fella who runs this football insider thing, he is such a blatant spoofer. Absolutely shameless stuff. If you were a real football insider, you wouldn't be running a piddly little website. It's like if I was a real radio host, I wouldn't be running a piddly little podcast. But I don't call myself football football radio hoster, do I? Uh, Arsenal are set to rival. Or sorry, Newcastle are set to rival Manchester United for the signing of Kieran Trippier. Um, yeah. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe could take charge of his first game at Arsenal. This weekend, despite a positive test, he has to provide, I think, two negative tests to be allowed to do so. So we'll wait and see. Uh, that is me for today, folks. Sorry it's late, but, you know, stuff gets in the way sometimes. Only an hour, though, so not too bad. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the evening. Enjoy the Europa League tonight. I can't be bothered previewing it because, well... It's the Europa League. So I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.